Welcome to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars Podcast. I'm your host, Bob Wallace. Whoever thought that children with cancer would be the ones to lift us from our existential funk? Their wisdom, simple and personal, yet profound and universal, helps us circumnavigate these perplexing times. And fortunately, you don't have to walk in their hospital slippers to benefit. Wallace Books presents Jello Wars and Other Battles with Childhood Cancer. It's a book, it's a podcast, and it's life-changing. Because the kids have much to teach, and we, the healthy, have much to learn. Thanks for showing up. Podcast, podcast, podcast. Everybody seems to have a podcast. There's just too many. True crime, sports, music, finance, comedy, Hollywood, mush mush, UFOs, love life, nightlife, low lifes, drum and fives, hip hop beats, big feats, and party treats, squirrel wrangling, drum banging, picture hanging, ditty sanging, and lopsa opsas. And now there's a podcast about childhood cancer. Come on! Don't let podcasts ruin your life. Why aren't you productive? Podcast. Why do you procrastinate? Podcast. Why haven't you showered in three days? Podcast. That's right. Even with caffeine and methamphetamines, there's no way you can listen to all the existing podcasts. There's just not enough hours in the day. What? You consider yourself a multitasker? No, you're not. You're doing a dismal job and everyone knows it. Why? Podcasts. Seriously, there are too many podcasts. But finally, someone is doing something about it. Too Many Podcasts exposes the fact that there are too many podcasts. Tune in to Too Many Podcasts. It's a podcast about podcasts and how we don't need them. Too Many Podcasts, available wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, Bob here. You know, I'm at a challenging point in my adulthood. I'm exhilarated by summer camp and everything it represents, yet my middle-aged back twinges at the mere thought of it. When I started volunteering at Arizona Camp Sunrise, none of today's campers were yet born. The same goes for many of my co-counselors. It's become apparent. I'm an OG. Original gangster, you say? No. Sadly, it stands for old guy. At least I'm not a GOG. There is that. On today's podcast, we're talking about first experiences in a child's life and about superheroes. Some years back, I taught a superhero class at camp. The kids invented their own powers and personas. Counselor Amy and I even helped the kids make an actual comic book. It was pretty stellar. And those kids have been a huge part of my adult life. They've helped me grow and mature and have radically influenced my perspective on life and how to live it. But enough about me. Let's get back to Jello Wars. Chapter 2 Firsts 
To a child, summer camp is everything. Camp's a chance for kids to recreate themselves, to transform and restructure social hierarchies. Camp's also full of firsts. First time to ride a horse. First time to catch a fish. First time to be so homesick you can't sleep. Or to never want to go home again. It's the first time to perform in front of 200 cheering fans, to skip a rock and paddle a canoe. It's the first time to sleep in a tent or with 20 friends in one cabin. First crush. First crawdad caught with your bare hands. First time to play in the snow. And first time to discover that post-shower, you still have jello in your ears. So many firsts. Frequently, Camp Sunrise is also a child's first time to not be singled out as the cancer kid. Arizona Camp Sunrise was one of the world's first oncology camps and has been a role model for countless other camps that followed. It's a magical place in the tall pines of northern Arizona where children who have or have had cancer grow, transform, and flourish in amazing ways. Sure, we have physicians and nurses on site, but camp isn't about being ill. Camp Sunrise is all about fun. The premise is that cancer should not deprive a child of having the same camp experiences as any other kid. Pretty simple, super fun, and profound in its impact on a child's life. Arizona Camp Sunrise was also one of the first camps to recognize the unique circumstances encountered by the brothers and sisters of cancer patients. That's why we added Sunrise Sidekicks, a camp to serve the distinct needs of those siblings. To date, Arizona Camp Sunrise and Sidekicks have served well over 5,000 children and their families, and the summer camps and year-round programs are all provided 100% free of charge. Side note, the Southwest Kids Cancer Foundation is a nonprofit organization developed specifically with these amazing children in mind, funding and managing the camp programs. While Arizona Camp Sunrise has been around for nearly 40 years, cancer has an even longer history. It was around 400 BC when Hippocrates, the big daddy of modern medicine, first used the word carcinoma to describe tumors. Hence, the word cancer was coined. Leukemia was discovered in the 1850s, but has been identified in human remains as far back as 5000 BC. Radiation therapy exploded in the early 1900s, and President Franklin D. Roosevelt approved the establishment of the National Cancer Institute, NCI, in 1937. Chemical warfare agents used in World War II became the first chemotherapy drugs used on adults, while, at the time, children with cancer received only palliative care. The goal was not to heal the children, but just keep them comfortable. It wasn't until the mid-1950s that pediatric pathologists discovered chemo drugs could also be used to treat children, and a consortium was established to focus on childhood cancer research. Side note, this consortium eventually evolved into what we know today as the Children's Oncology Group, or COG. More on that later. 
1971, President Nixon declared the war on cancer, and funds were poured into trials of new drugs. The decade also brought us the CT, MRI, and PET scans. The National Cancer Institute designated 20 hospitals as dedicated cancer centers, and leukemia, along with other childhood cancers, began to look survivable. By the 1980s, many hospitals were performing bone marrow transplants, and outcomes improved even more for kids with cancer. The 80s also brought us the first childhood oncology camps, like Arizona Camp Sunrise. Let's look at leukemia. It's a cancer of the bone marrow and blood, and is the most common childhood cancer. Acute lymphocytic leukemia, ALL, accounts for three-quarters of all the leukemias in children. In the 1960s, if your child had ALL, they had less than a 10% chance of being cured. 90% of the time, the child did not survive. If your child had ALL in the 70s, their survival rate jumped to 58%. And today, we have a nearly 90% survival rate. Childhood cancers considered a modern success story of medical research, and our triumphs and innovations in treating cancer have been nothing less than extraordinary. We'll have more on that in a moment. But right now, let's get back to camp. From the outside, the experience of Arizona Camp Sunrise can be hard to understand. And from the inside, it can be hard to explain. Camp isn't one thing. It's a million little things that add up to a very big deal. It's life-changing, life-affirming, and, for many, a lifelong connection. It's impossible to overstate how important it is to a child with cancer. I'll let Alex tell you. A camp full of kids with cancer sounds like a barrel of laughs, right? Alex grins and goes on to explain. In everyday life, when you're a kid with cancer, it feels like that's all that you are. Your disease is the first thing that adults and other kids associate you with. You're likely the only child they know who has cancer. So, for them, cancer is your most prominent identifier. Alex knows what he's talking about. He had leukemia when he was 10, and he came to Arizona Camp Sunrise the next summer. Counterintuitively, he says, cancer camp is a great place for a child to leave cancer behind, if only for a week. At Camp Sunrise, cancer fades into the background of the ordinary, allowing each child's unique attributes to emerge and shine. Alex admits that no one's going to become a world-class gymnast during a week at cancer camp. But, he says, in that small world in the woods, each camper gets to be a star of something besides their own personal medical drama. Some of those firsts at camp go on to become life lessons. Truth be told, Alex says, I'm really not a dancer. Nevertheless, despite my initial hesitation, camp taught me to dance, or attempt to dance like no one is watching. Camp taught me to worry less about what others think about me and just put myself out there in all my awkward glory. That lesson didn't come all at once, but over time, it's been an important one. Today, Alex is a practicing attorney in Denver, Colorado. 
He's quick to attribute much of his success in life to having had cancer and having attended Arizona Camp Sunrise. Courtney and her sister Kelsey were campers for most of their youth. Courtney says, When I need to get self-motivated, I think about camp and the people who were there to help me through the hard times, both at camp and outside of camp. It got me through some rough times years ago and helps me through rough times today. Courtney, who's currently in her medical residency, says, I can't even explain it to non-camp people. But if it weren't for camp, I don't think I'd be where I am today. If it weren't for the support of my campily. One day, stories of children receiving chemotherapy and radiation will be relegated to the books on ancient medical history, along with bloodletting and phrenology, both of which were considered state-of-the-art and the standard of care in their time. Who knows? By the time this story concludes, it's possible there will be a whole new approach to fighting cancer. Let's hope so. In the meantime, we have sick kids. We have dedicated doctors, nurses, and scientists. And we have cancer camps. Statistics for this episode come courtesy of the SEER Cancer Statistics Review, National Cancer Institute. Chapter 3. Superheroes Comic book superheroes and the kids of Arizona Camp Sunrise have a lot in common. Each have suffered, and each have conquered hardships. In both comic books and real life, they emerge with powers and insight well beyond us normal humans. Life's trials and tribulations can be abbreviated into a handful of comic book frames, and the adversities promptly result in the discovery of new and amazing powers. However, a child going through cancer treatment lives with that struggle day in and day out for what can become a very long time. Often surviving the day is their only focus, not preparing for some awesome adventure. It's been over 80 years since Superman fell to Earth in Action Comics number 1. We're all familiar with the storyline, born on a doomed planet, sent off in a one-baby rocket ship, crash-landed near Smallsville, Illinois, adopted by the Kents, went to work at the Metropolis Daily Planet as a mild-mannered reporter. He learned to change clothes in confined spaces, hooked up with Lois Lane, and saved the world on a semi-regular basis. As is often the case with kids going through cancer, Superman had trouble fitting in. Sure, he possessed awesome powers acquired from his hardships, but that also made him feel like an outsider. Superman's uniqueness made it difficult for him to lead a normal life. I'm sure there were plenty of days Superman would have rather avoided phone booths completely and Ubered north to his Arctic fortress of solitude. But this could not be. Not for a superhero. The job and lifestyle killed Superman. Literally. Side note. If you're a comic book nerd, you'll recall the brief moment from 1992. After Superman had gone mano a mano with Doomsday, it was a bad day in Blackrock, or Metropolis. But he was soon back and the world was again safe from evil. Of course, every superhero needs a villain. Someone to test their abilities, their resolve, and push them to greatness. Superman had no lack of evildoers to reckon with, 
including Lex Luthor, the goal-oriented bald guy set on world domination. And if that wasn't enough, he had to deal with all the radioactive chunks of kryptonite that tend to fall to Earth. Universal concepts like prejudice, fear of the unknown, feeling outcast and trying to find your place in the world apply to comic book superheroes and kids alike. It's not unusual for a child to feel somehow different from everyone else, which can rankle some intense feelings of isolation. Add cancer to all the normal feelings of adolescent awkwardness, and it's mind-boggling to think anyone could overcome such obstacles. But, every year, thousands of kids do just that. They suffer, they conquer, and they emerge, forever changed. Superheroes. But, as Spider-Man taught us, with great power comes great responsibility. My favorite comic book superhero is possibly the one most like the kids of Camp Sunrise. He's a true American icon and the scourge of the underworld. I'm talking Batman, the caped crusader. Unlike most comic book superheroes, Batman is a self-made superhero. He's a spectacular crime fighter, but has no superhuman abilities. Bruce Wayne trained his body and his mind. He's one of the few superheroes who outwits as well as outfights his rivals. To top things off, Batman has some of the funkiest gadgets around. What could be cooler than having a Batmobile, a Batplane, Batcopter, Batcycle, and a full crime lab located in a cave beneath your house? That's hard to beat. Detective Comics 190 explains how to be Batman. Check it out. You read a little narration, study the color drawings, recite the lines from the dialogue bubbles, and pow, bam, kerboom, you're a superhero. I wish it was that easy. Origin stories vary, but it matters not whether a child's bitten by a radioactive spider crashes an experimental rocket ship at the edge of space, is bombarded by cosmic rays, or diagnosed with cancer. The end result is the same. Superheroes, every one. Superman drones on about the total destruction of his home planet and the lack of legroom with interplanetary space travel. Daredevil, the Fantastic Four, and the Hulk pontificate about how much it sucks to get nailed with radioactivity and Spider-Man never misses an opportunity to tell how arachnoid envenomation is a total drag. But have any of them ever had a bone marrow biopsy? I don't think so. If Superman had to go through months of chemotherapy, maybe he'd quit yammering on about kryptonite. Send a phlebotomist into Daredevil's hospital room, and you'll find a fainting superhero. Even the Hulk might not think himself so incredible if he had to take medicine he knew would leave him puking into a tiny plastic bowl all night long. Owen went through chemo, radiation, and surgery at age six. It was a grueling origin story for a superhero, but the drama didn't stop there. Owen required additional surgeries and implants in his leg. Unlike Wolverine's bones made of antimantium, Owens do not regenerate. He's currently had them replaced three different times. Kelsey was two and a half when she was diagnosed with a neuroblastoma, which is not an easily curable form of cancer. In the first 10 months, Kelsey endured chemotherapy, radiation, and a bone marrow transplant. But the cancer returned and things looked bleak. 
Kelsey was referred to a specialist in Denver and underwent a promising surgery. But the cancer again returned. Doctors told the family there was nothing else that could be done, and Kelsey was given less than six months to live. But that wasn't the final chapter, not for our superhero. Kelsey's family traveled to Sloan Medical Center in New York City, where she was accepted into a Phase two clinical trial involving monoclonal antibodies. And that treatment was a rousing success. Tony Stark, you know, Iron Man, once said, Heroes are made by the path they choose, not by the powers they are graced with. That's pretty good for a Hollywood dude. Heroes are made by the path they choose, not by the powers they're graced with. Looking back, we can often recognize a child's awesome abilities that weren't fully realized at the time. Owen and Kelsey's harrowing backstories are real. Today, both are active, productive, and amazing young adults. Although it was a harrowing journey, their battles with cancer were an adventure. And the end result was nothing less than real-life superheroes, with much to teach the rest of us. Just across the lodge from me, the epoxy biker rides wheelies, with shopping diva on the back of his invisible bike, her red hair flowing in the breeze. Side note, I'm pretty sure shopping diva's space-age skirt is a repurposed plastic cone the veterinarian once placed on my dog. Just saying. Not far away, Monkey Fist defends us all from a particularly dangerous ladybug camper, while Beastie Boy howls his support. And down by the fireplace, the Red Vine Ranger does impressive rope tricks with her licorice lasso, while the Atomic Punk wails through a laser-shooting guitar solo. I survey the bedlam, and am in awe of every one of them. I've never felt more confident in knowing the Earth will always be safe, beautiful, and anything but boring. Greetings from the Justice League of Arizona Camp Sunrise. Thanks for tuning in to Wallace Books and the Jello Wars podcast. The kids of Arizona Camp Sunrise have been my greatest mentors, and they're here to assist you too. You can find additional episodes of the podcast and more about the book, Jello Wars, and other battles with childhood cancer at wallacebooks.com. That's W A L L A S S books.com. Just go to the website or search Wallace Books wherever you get your podcasts. And be sure to subscribe and like. You can learn more about Arizona Camp Sunrise at azcampsunrise.org. Podcast theme music by M. Dub Music. Sound effects from Sonic Boom. Keep listening to Wallace Books' Jello Wars podcast and let the kids change your life for the better. See you down the road.